0: Oh, we should do an ASMR episode, it would be fun. Welcome to Mysteries of the Euroverse. On this episode, we're gonna slowly calm you to sleep with the dulcet tones of Caria. I'm Charlie Sohn, a screenwriter and journalist. I'm Agnes Reese, a pop singer and songwriter. And this is Mysteries of the Euroverse. On today's
1: episode, we're talking about
0: voting at Eurovision. First, we deep dive into how Eurovision winners are selected and cover the long-running debate between proponents of expert juries and advocates of letting the people decide. Second,
1: we talk to John Steers, the 2021 jury favorite,
0: whose win was famously thwarted by the televoters. Finally, we sit down with Michael Shu Rosen, who's performed with both the New York City Ballet and in several Netflix hits. We ask him about the distinctions between a world governed by expert taste and one determined by the people.
2: We take a look behind the scenes at all the scandal songs, and queens.
1: So come along as we traverse all the mysteries of the Euroverse. All the mysteries of the Euroverse.
0: We are back with another episode of Mysteries of the Euroverse. Today we're going to talk about, you
1: know, a topic that's very
0: non-controversial in the US. Voting. <laughs> but no, we are talking about Eurovision and voting and particularly how Eurovision decides who the winners are gonna be. Coming to to Eurovision, this was one of the first things that hit me. It's a four hour broadcast where essentially two hours of it are dedicated to like voting procedure. It's like similar to sports where you go, Well, you can just forward to the end of the match and see who wins. Yeah. But but getting the there is point, part of the. Yeah, the whole point enjoyment. is the anticipation. Right. And Eurovision is the edging of competition voting series. I completely lost the
1: edging reference, but now I'm there. Oh, you edged me there. Oh. <laughs> I looked into this and it's a little hard to give an exact number, but if my calculations are correct, over 25 times have the voting rules of Eurovision changed since it started
0: wow there's also been a strong push to change the rules for this upcoming competition what do we think is the right way forward i think there's something admirable and kind of insane about the fact that eurovision is both transparent about the process and also so obsessive about adjusting here and adjusting there to sort of talk about where we are now every country has its own jury and every country has its own televote total. In a competition where you have a country like Iceland with 300,000-some
1: people, and then you have places like the UK or Germany with millions of people,
0: Iceland has the same amount of points to give out as the UK. so Right, it works exactly like the Electoral College. With both the jury vote and the televote, it's not population-based. Right,
1: and that's why I've always said that like when people use the popular vote kind of comparisons, there is right. never
0: going to be a popular vote right. in Eurovision. Because right. then just the largest country would win. So it's almost like the difference between having uh, your election decided by some voting system versus, like, the Supreme Court. And there are very strong opinions on both sides. Yes. Some people
1: really feel like the jury avoids people throwing their votes away on novelty acts and the fact that you can control the jury a little bit more on the fact that they're supposed to judge songs just on merit and not political block voting, et cetera. Yeah. And people who are advocates of the televote will say that, you know, the televote is the the opinion of the people
0: and juries give too much power to a very small group of people. And the the consequence of too much power to a small group of people is actually, even though people accuse televoters of political voting. It's actually a lot easier to bribe 10 people on a jury than it is to bribe an entire population. So the real scandals have mostly been around the jury for the simple reason that like, unless you're Azerbaijan and literally hauling in voters and um, intimidating them, you can't really control the televote in your own country. Now in the semifinals, um, it was all determined by televote. And then in the finals, it's a 50-50 split between the televote and the juries. Technically, with a slight favoring on the televote. Oh, really? The rest of the world doesn't have a jury. The, I think, hottest debate among Eurovision fans on the internet right now is the Lorene versus Caria debate. So if you did not watch last year's contest... What the hell's your problem? Yeah. Um, but no, if, if you missed last year, the contest came down to two contestants. Lorreen was the favorite of the juries,
1: and Karia was the favorite of the televote. Now, Loreen ended up winning the competition.
0: Right. The fan debate around Lorreen and Karia really reflects how people see the juries versus the televote. Loreen is a Eurovision icon She brought a song that was very well-crafted. Her performance was conceptual, but, like, very kind of austere. It really just leans on a lot of stuff that I think people associate with jury voters, people who work in the industry in each country. So then there's Karia, whose song is insane. But in the best way. It's like half dark metal techno, some J-pop thrown in there. It's got these cha-cha dancers who are tied to ropes.
1: I will point out that Jerry Mitchell said that's not cha-cha that they're doing. Did you feel when Jerry said that that was kind of like he was being a jury in that
0: moment? A jury Mitchell?
1: (laughs) That was, that,
0: that was very Magnusy of me. It
1: was. Um, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah. Edgy.
0: Um, edgy. <laughs> <laughs> Karia's song is kind of the embodiment of what people think of when they think of the televote, right? New, it, w- it was kind of random. Fun it was playful crazy
1: party. To quote Karia himself. To quote Karia himself. Jurors don't always take to something new as well because they're judging thing based on like right. what they've seen work. Importantly... This tension wasn't really between Lorene and Caria, who are actually good Friends, friends, yes. But
0: it was between the supporters. The crowd in the stadium started chanting cha-cha-cha because they felt robbed. By the juries. Any international competition like the Olympics, voting becomes a much more sensitive important thing. You have entire countries' pride riding no, on totally. whether or not they and win. Also, Whereas like, you know, American Idol, Justin Guarini got over it. He was in the Beach Boys uh, musical or something. He didn't represent the South or something right. like that. Right. I do think Clay Aiken kind of represented a certain strain of something, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. he got medication I don't yeah. know Girl, we've all had that strain. Certain strain.
1: <laughs> so I think that's kind of a perfect transition into how did we get here? This competition has been around for almost 70 years. When the competition started, the idea of a televote would have been science fiction. And so the, how we got to where we are today is a mix of technological advances, politics for sure, Um A growing competition with new countries being added. It's 1956. We're in Switzerland. A televote is not possible. So the competition was introduced with the jury system. At the time when the competition was launched, seven countries. Yes. And each country had a two-person
0: jury. Great. Which is actually like insane when you think about it, because each country also brought two songs. So there were 14 songs and 14 votes. The other thing that is probably one of the most consistent rules, you can never vote for your own country. The next 40 years, it's mostly they're changing a number of jurors.
1: They're changing a number of points they can each give out. Can they give points to one song? Can they give it to several songs? The change that we're really focusing on today is what happened in 1997. So it's the introduction of the drum roll, Charlie. Now you can hit the table. The televote. Eurovision was a very early adopter of this technology. At the time, many countries didn't have the technological infrastructure to even support a televote. So each delegation made their own call. Now, in 1998, they make televote not an optional choice anymore. If you used a jury, it was because you didn't have the technological infrastructure or because something went wrong. I will
0: say with the victory of Donna International in that year, in that year, I think that does kind of refute the two biggest accusations against the televote, sure. which is one that that people who represent countries that the rest of the world has problems with don't do as well. So this was a victory for Israel. Yeah, trans woman from Israel. Too. Well, so that's the second one. All these backwards voters are going to be homophobic or transphobic. And I do think there's something like very happy ending of a Disney Channel movie that the the people elected Donna International. Um,
1: yeah. So that rule stays for one more year. <laughs> In 2001 and 2002, the the rules got loosened a little bit. So each country could choose between a full televote or a 50-50 televote. And jury. So then in 2003, yes. the EBU, once again, really excited by new technology, now introduced SMS voting. So with that, they basically did a 1998 all over again. So they went back to phones being the preferred way. And that system they kept until 2009.
0: Getting excited about a new technology leads to a change. Mm -hmm. And then when you change things, the people who like the old system get very upset. No, for sure. A neutral way of talking about it Mm -hmm. is that there was a feeling among mostly Western European countries that being so reliant on the televote led to something that people call block voting, right? Being a little less neutral, the implication was that these Eastern European countries have a lot of cultural affinity with each other mm-hmm. and they are voting for each other. So remember, like one of the most consistent voting rules of Eurovision is that you can't vote for your own country, but you can vote for your neighbor. There are different opinions on whether countries engage in any block voting at all, whether it's actually based on language whether there's really any difference between uh, western european countries and eastern european countries as far as block voting but the justification that seemed to be bubbling up was that like texting and televoting only was leading to these essentially eastern european countries winning and part of that was based on politics quote unquote yes. rather than the music. Yes. And I think the other one, not everyone watches
1: Eurovision with this idea of finding the best song. Yeah, Some people are like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. I'm going to vote for that. So there was a fear that it would drive the competition into the direction of the ridiculous. Now,
0: I will say when you look at it though, the numbers that we've talked about that came from Eastern Europe around this time, they are bringing in folk music. They're protest songs. Verka's song has a novelty component to it, Mm -hmm. but it also, as a drag act, as a anti-Russian protest act, had a lot of seriousness going on.
1: The irony for me is that when it comes to the novelty vote throwaway, my fear is more towards a country like the UK. Oh, 100%. Because once a country's got to this point, we're like, we can't win anyway, and they watch it in a certain way... That's when the risk of throwing away the vote happens.
0: The UK was the one who, you know, sent the airline number. Like, well, wasn't it Ireland that sent the turkey? Ireland sent the turkey. Love Jedward. Would but, not call them not novelty. <laughs> um,
1: I do think there is this element of people watch the competition, whereas a lot of acts contain other cultures, other languages. Yeah, and I think sometimes from a very English centric world, that can be seen as novelty. It's like oh. I loved when they did the funny dancing and the weird sounds, we'll send a turkey. Right. And it's a misunderstanding of the fact that what this Eastern
0: European country sent wasn't novelty. Novelty, like definitionally, right, is just something that's new to you. Being an American, there are a set of people in my life who listen to pop music, who if I showed them Lorene's performance, they'd be like, that's pretty weird. And so it's like the idea that you're going to draw like a huge distinction between Kari's is novelty, because, like, Kari is, is not a singing turkey. The problem with the the UK numbers is they're dumb. Some people will say bearded drag queen novelty. Exactly. 100%. I don't think Concitaverse was a novelty at all. No. People like to call what's unfamiliar a novelty. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons I'm, like, super sensitive about this is Constructus in Sano. Honestly, like, that was the number that made me a Eurovision fan. And the thing that's ironic about that, and I'm sure some people refer to it
1: as novelty, to yeah. me, she is the polar opposite. Because what she did was, like,
0: High art. It's motivated by a deeper purpose. Right. It, it's about something real. And and then again, like, who preferred it? The people or the juries? Right. The people. It's actually, like, very inspiring to me because that is, like, out there stuff. The stuff that you think takes someone with context and who's, like, highbrow and intelligent. But, like, no, they were the ones who gravitated towards a Constructa. I think Let Threes, Mamas, it was a number that, like, you could decide to be dismissive of. It is very much grounded in a political point of view, and aesthetically, it's interesting. No, and
1: listen,
0: I, I am the person who
1: believes that I don't necessarily call them novelty because I think there is a lot of substance behind what
0: they created. That was a number that the televote strongly preferred over the jury's vote. Right. And the dismissive way of talking about it is like, oh, of course, all these people high at home on their couch are like, who are the crazy Stalin people on my screen who are in glam? It's a song that speaks to exactly what's going on right now. I think being queer, coming from a culture that has drag, that has uh, a lot of performative um, artistic styles that can be silly and funny on the surface, but deeply underneath come out of something very real. You have... Karia, the most successful song in Finnish in history. Yeah. So
1: from a Finnish perspective, you go, wow, this guy was able to share our language. Yeah. Like far and wide. Same thing, constructa. Yeah. Most successful song in Serbian ever. Yeah. Um, and there's a pride in your language, there's a pride in your culture. Yeah. And to see people in countries who don't speak that language
0: celebrate it is really amazing. Incredible. And that's part of, like, the most beautiful thing about Eurovision. The way people talk about this that is both damaging and inaccurate is this idea of, like, oh, it should be about the music, but it's not. Right. Right? There's no such thing as only about the music. Do you think their lyrics resonate with you as a a listener? Did they sing a song that really connected to, like, oh, you lost a parent to cancer, or you have... Felt a breakup before, or you had a mental health struggle. The idea that, for instance, people around the world would respond to the message of College Orchestra and Stefania, right? If you're going to say that that's somehow less legitimate, then like Bob Dylan, like his fan base is just political because they, they resonate to what he's talking about. So
1: then we get to 2009. That year... Is when they introduce the 50-50 across the board. Yes. 50% of the votes are televotes and 50% are juries. Now, when all this gets calculated, it gets mishmoshed together into one number. The problem with that was that sometimes as you go through the votes for each country, you get to country 30 out of 39, for example, and we know who's won. Right. ever since 2016, instead of combining them into one set of points, they now do a set of jury votes and a set of televotes. And when they announce country to country, they only announce the jury votes. Right. And after the jury votes are given out country to country, you now have a jury first place to 26th place. Yes. Now they combine all the televotes together, and instead of giving them out country by country, they give them out artist by artist from bottom
0: to top. Mm This actually ends up being a sort of central irony of there being so much discord right now. One of the stated reasons for separating it out was increased transparency, right? Suddenly in the broadcast now, you have a sort of honesty that reflects, again, like the thinking of liberal, democratic, European institutions. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. Greater transparency leads to greater trust. And I think a weird thing that we're all finding yeah. out now in this day and age is like more information does not make you trust things more. The more you know about the way an institution operates, the more honest they are with you. The more you're like, wait, that's that's the way it works. Now, if
1: you're a person who's really rooting for your country in the juries, you're really disappointed. Yeah. Your your song is in 17th place. And then suddenly it gets this influx of televotes. You go, fuck the juries. Yes. Because you don't have a chance anymore because now you know the full score, so you're not going to win. But you were like, oh, we would have had a chance if it wasn't for the juries. Right. I get why they did it and introduced what has now become the iconic split screen. Ever since 2016, there's been the split screen moment, leaving the announcement of the winner to the very final moment.
0: There's a really strong argument for getting rid of juries. Fair.
1: And I disagree with that argument.
0: We have actual evidence of literally fascist dictators being able to manipulate the jury. We have evidence from last year, Eurovision 2022, of countries colluding to rig their jury results. Yeah. What we do not have, aside from Azerbaijan in 2012, is any documented evidence of the televote being intentionally corrupted. In
1: the history of the contest, there's not a single winner that has not partially been selected by a jury. It's a huge part of the history of the contest. I really like the way the broadcast works now, yeah. uh, where we sp- split the jury and the televote. I like that we save the winner until the very end. I don't want to lose the aspect of going to each country for their votes. My issue is that a lot of people are very heated about this and who calls Lorene the non-real
0: winner. Totally, and I will say like at the risk of agreeing with you too much, I love Lorreen, I love Karia, I think the song is crazy, it's party, and I would have been happy had either of them won. Lorene won under the system, and so any of my criticism of the system is not somehow there's an illegitimate victory in there. Okay, and
1: moving to our guests, we're going to talk to the incredible John's Tears, who, as you'll hear, was an early favorite in the 2020 contest, only to have it be canceled for COVID. His triumphant return in 2021 with Tout Le Univers was kind of the
0: perfect storybook ending. But then those pesky televoters got in the way. Then you're going to hear from Michael Shu Rosen, who starred in Netflix shows like Pretty Smart and Glamorous, but who also trained as a professional ballet dancer. His experience in artistic worlds governed alternately by popular taste and expert opinion made him the perfect guest. First, let's listen to some of John Stier's 2021 entry to La Universe. Here with John's Tears. In 2021, he came in third, earning Switzerland's best results since 1993. John, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks to you for the invitation.
1: Can you talk about what your relationship to Eurovision was growing up?
3: Actually, I discovered Eurovision when I was around 12. And I remember the first song I've seen was Fear the Passion from Albania. I sing this big star in Albania and on this show where there was so many people watching it. And then I remember also that I have dreamt of winning it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, can
0: you talk about how you came to, to play the piano and, and how that started uh, your love of songs and performing?
3: I remember from school, we had the kind of exercise we needed to present our hobby. And I didn't have anything, any passion. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Why don't <laughs> I have anything to do? Amazing. And so I was like, okay, I need to try lots of things. And I tried uh, ice skating. I tried uh, karate, but I really had a special connection with piano. And then my grandfather, he asked me to sing his favorite song, which was Can't Help Falling In Love from Elvis Presley. <laughs> and I sang without knowing English, of course, so it should have sound horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but he started to cry. And um, he told me like, you need to be seen by everyone because you can share something special. He was like, you have an eye <laughs> voice. Listen to Celine Dion, listen to Whitney Houston. So I was like, just listening to her. I did Albanian Scott Talent and I finished at the third place. Like in Albania, it was crazy. Even when people have seen me in Eurovision for Switzerland, they were like, oh my God, it's the little boy from Albanians Got Talent. So I went to the conservatorio, to the open door day. I went to one of the teacher with who I wanted to work. And she, I was like, I want to work with you. She was like, you're too young. I was like, I cannot leave. I need to work with you. I stayed for almost two hours. And then I started to sing. And she was like, OK, let's meet next week. <laughs> and then that's, what, that's how I started the Conservatorio.
1: Amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned Albania's Got Talent. You were 12 at the time. And then you also did Switzerland's Got Talent as well.
3: Yeah, and then also uh, France. Uh, got Talent called me to do the show. <laughs> at
1: that That's age, crazy. with that exposure, did it affect your social life? Like, how was that experience?
3: The power of the social media wasn't that strong. If I failed, it was okay. I had the chance to be really respected for that at school. So people were a bit scared of speaking to me. So I was sometimes quite alone. When I was 18 years old, I have met my band. At that moment, I told my parents, I'm not going to study anymore. I want to focus into music because doing half and half things, it doesn't work. I want to do it fully. So my mother, she wasn't really supporting the fact that I wanted to stop my studies. But at the same time, she wanted to help me without telling me. When I did the last show, she sent the video and the next day they called me and they were like, we want you to do the castings of The Voice. It was also another discovery of who I wanted to be aesthetically. When I did The Voice, I remember the audition, blind audition. I didn't even uh, brush my hair. And at that moment, I understood that this is TV and not really music. It's different. A Swiss duet, which is called Alios, have seen me on The Voice. And they were like, we are doing a writing session. You should come. I was like, okay, I don't know those people. Let's try. And in the afternoon, we finished the song. And then they told me, okay, we didn't tell you completely the whole thing. The idea of this camp is to send songs to Eurovision. And at that moment, I freaked out because I was like, okay, (laughs) I just did The Voice and I don't want to do another TV show. Then I actually, I've seen the story of Eurovision. I mean, The Voice, when it was like at its best year, it's like 12 million people watching it. But when you see Eurovision and it's 180 million, it's like. Okay. <laughs> You're not joking.
1: <laughs> it looked like you might represent Albania at one point, And then you eventually ended up re- representing Switzerland. These countries in some way are related to your identity. So would it have felt different representing Albania?
3: To be honest, if I was asked this before the experience, I would have said no. It's not different. It's definitely different. Because the power of the delegation is really important. I've heard lots of stories. <laughs> there was, for example, in my hotel and country that they were closing the door and we could hear the singer uh, singing from 8 a.m. till uh, 5 p.m. It's not only singing, it was screaming because it was pushed. That person will never be able to sing at the end of the two weeks. So the Swiss delegation was just, for me, the perfect delegation because they gave me the freedom to do everything. That first song, for Eurovision, Répondez-moi. Can you talk about the lyric? At school, people were like uh, John, G-J-O-N. In a way, it sounds nothing because everybody can be named John because it's not written in a a French way. It's like, you're not from Switzerland, obviously. And when I was in Kosovo or in Albania, I was like, I'm not from here neither because we don't have the same problems. My cousin that was really young was speaking to me about uh, the moment she could be able to marry so she can... Then after trying to build a uh, lawyer careers. I mean, we're 17. So that's why also doing Eurovision was a big thing for me. I, I'm just a puzzle with lots of different pieces. And that's how we wrote The It's lots of questions I've asked myself.
1: It's it's a quieter song and it has a serious message. Did it surprise you that it was so popular?
3: Now that it's been a, to- a long time, I can tell all the secrets. <laughs> <So, laughs> yes. like,
0: Our timing's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: I think the press conference was maybe 10 minutes after the song was released. I was waiting and I opened my phone and I've seen the first reactions. It was like bad. They were like, what the hell? What is the, why a song in French? And why that kind of song? I started crying because I was like, what did I do to myself? So now I know they don't like the song. So, like, let's just make the interviews. When I've seen the bookmakers, I was like at the first positions.
0: So. And then, of course, the pandemic happens, right? You're going into this contest with the song that everybody thinks is going to win, and then the contest doesn't happen. I was just asking to
3: my delegation then, okay, so what's next? <laughs> I want to come back. I want to do it because I didn't do it. The problem is, was like everyone loved Répondez moi. Now we need to do another song. The problem is like when you do two songs, It's always, people compare you to those two songs and it's like, hmm, Répondez-moi was better. So it was a big fight. But then when I met uh, Wouter Hardy and Nina Semperman, it clicked directly. I think it's the first song of the camp we did. Répondez-moi was like just throwing paint (laughs) on the wall and instinctive trying. Tout l'univers was created in the way that it was like a recipe. I received lots of um, messages saying, we love both songs, but we prefer a little bit, répondez-moi. And I get it because it's more me, but I'm happy that people still liked Tout L'Univers and it did well.
0: So the process for choosing in 2021 is that you submitted a group of songs to a jury, right? And they chose one?
3: So I told the delegation chief, if I come back for Eurovision this year, I will compose my song. I think we did like 10 or 12 songs, but also we had the French version and the English version all the time almost to see what they liked the most. Tout l'univers did the best, but I just think for the cinematic beauty of Tout l'univers, uh, it was the best choice because your vision, it's, it's not like a contest of the voices only because otherwise it would be a radio show, but it's also your right. vision because I knew people will not really understand the lyric. I didn't want to tell a concrete story. It's like just me asking myself questions about my life, about my identity, and about the fact that I have no place anywhere I go.
0: The jury during the live performance decided that the French version would be the one that would go to Eurovision. What do you think the
3: difference was there? The, the major difference between French and English for me is the, the directness of the language. In English, you have that kind of implicit poetry that is amazing, that says a lot without saying a lot, like the way Johnny Mitchell writes her songs. In French, you have this capacity of saying something harsh directly, and it sounds like a knife.
0: I think it had been a while since Switzerland had sent a song in French, and it was one of the most successful songs for Switzerland. There are a lot of people who, you know, say, oh, English songs always do better. Do you think that something about the Eurovision audience is changing?
3: I don't have the feeling that if you have sung in French earlier, it would have been bad. Because if you see, for example, 1956 and like all of the French songs that won since then, La Varieté française, the French songs that were exploding in the '60s, and like we said it before with the '20s, is your vision more open uh, to languages? Any of them now? I would say for, for sure,
1: yes, the live performance of your song was really incredible. Uh, and the choreography in
3: particular, I received two big mood boards of two different directors. I had Sasha and someone else. I had the meeting with Sasha and I was like, no, never with her. (laughs) Because she was (laughs) like, she looked so strict. My delegation uh, chief told me, you need to see them for real. And then you will make your decision. I've met Sasha and I was like, that's the person. I mean, how the hell did I not see that? I told her I love uh, dancing, but I don't feel comfortable at all. And I don't have the body to dance. I was the skinniest, the skinniest of my classroom. Other people in my class that that, that were a bit like beating me. And then I was like, I will never let myself again just being bitten. And so I gained weight. Since that moment, I couldn't really lose my, my weight. I always had the feeling of being too fat. And so, especially on TV, (laughs) it's not really uh, helpful. She was like, stupid, but okay. Uh, she was like, what the hell are you saying to me? I can name a thousand of dancers that are uh, like overweight and still they dance uh, incredibly well. I start just doing improvisation, dancing without not really dancing and feeling comfortable with my body. I, I couldn't imagine like uh, Beyonce singing on To l'univers. So, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I needed to find a way of telling a story with movements. The
0: juries really uh, went crazy for the song and the rules every year keep getting adjusted.
3: What do you think the, the right balance is? The advantages of the jury is that you're looking for a kind of validation also from the music industry, but also the public vote. It's as important as the jury vote. And you need to also touch the people with what you're doing. A more recent
1: tradition of sorts in your vision is the the famous split screen. You were a part of that tense split screen at the very end there.
3: I need to say something which was a secret. They put uh, a red wine and champagne in front of us. <laughs> yeah, <perfect.
2: laughs> we, did,
3: we didn't eat anything because of course you couldn't be with your burger in front of uh, 180 million people. <laughs> so you didn't eat, you have red wine and champagne. You drink three glasses, you're like 50 (laughs) as hell. So I was like not really understanding what was happening. When the public vote starts and everything, I had like my uh, delegation chief, he was like screaming. He was like, oh my God, we're going to win. We're going to win. I didn't realize really what happened. And I realized it when really I went to go to sleep. As we come to the end here, I I wanted
0: to talk just a little bit about the rest of your album. You sometimes live in a very pop contemporary singer-songwriter category. And then the If There's a God Here uh, section of Amen to You could be out of like a Bowie song. (laughs) Where do you go uh, for musical ideas?
3: Of artists like Nina Hagen, like Björk, of course, David Bowie. When you have your own identity and it can be in every of your songs, then you can do whatever you want. Like Lady Gaga, she just delivered a wonderful Joanna album with like a guitars and a kind of folky country thing. And then she comes back with the Chromatica.
0: It's interesting because you pair that with a real emotional vulnerability in your lyrics. Cancer and Bobby are, I mean,
3: incredible songs. It's funny because Bobby is my first song I've written. And there are a really? of problems in English in that song. Lots of time when I'm singing it, I have a bit of shame. But... The thing is, like, I wanted people to understand the words, but I didn't care about the form of it. <laughs> and with concert, I wanted to just speak about that brutality of dying, not in a poem way. And it's just like explaining what it is, which is just screaming and bad moments. I lost someone who was really close to me from leukemia in six months, first time she went to the doctor, she never had anything. And six months, she was dead. When you see someone uh, dying, I mean, you also have the family. When you see the mother losing her kid, you feel like someone else is dying in front of you. I promise sometimes I, I write also about like l- easy things. not only. Like, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not interested in that. That's, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is much but, better. But <laughs> the thing is like, I wanted to write about the feeling of a mother who has all the attention when she's pregnant. And then when she have the baby, the baby becomes the attention and the mother is forgotten. So I've worked with uh, I use, um, Alizé and she had, she had a baby. I wanted to share more feelings. That's why also John's tears was so important for me. I wanted to keep my grandfather's tears in my name, but also I want to touch people with a feeling. John, thank you so much for thank joining
0: you. us. Um, this has Thanks been a you. really, really great conversation.
1: We are here with Michael Sue Rosen. After studying at the School of American Ballet for nine years, he's been a regular on several TV shows, including Tiny Pretty Things, Pretty Smart, and most recently, the runaway Netflix hit Glamorous. Welcome, Michael. Thank
0: you. So I think one of the things that's so interesting about Michael's career is that he's got a foot in what's considered high culture, having trained in ballet for so long. And yet he's also spent a lot of his career in popular culture, TV, musicals. This makes him perfect for exploring a tension that we talk about a lot in Eurovision. The way the tension
1: between high culture and popular culture can play out is in the gap between the taste of the juries and the televoters who are seen as representing the will of the people. It's an overly broad simplification which is why we're so glad to have an expert in both worlds with us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you like the pressure we're laying in, Absolutely. Michael? No, I think
2: the reason why I thought this would be fun was because I'm coming in absolutely blind. Oh, so yes. oversimplification yeah. is sort of my bag at this point.
0: Oh, and I have to say nothing on this podcast is about accuracy or detail. So <laughs> I actually know nothing about your vision and I know very
2: little about pop music at large. Can you say a bit more about that? Well, it's not that I don't know a pop music. I mean, I I love music. I listen to music all the time. I I just don't feel like cool.
0: All of my references are from 1994. (laughs) And you and I probably have a lot in common in terms of our private playlist. Which unfortunately, I, through this podcast, keep making public, which (laughs) is probably not a great idea. (laughs) Has there ever been an American entry? Flowrida did—he he was featured on a song, so he flew out and kept insisting the entire time that he had no idea what this was or where yeah. he was or what he was doing. I love that strategy. I know. That probably really won over the people yeah, and the judges really? alike. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Michael, we're going to explore the sort of tension between jury taste and televote taste in a game that we're calling I Will Be Popular, I Will Be Popular, I'm Gonna Get There, Popular— My body wants you, girl. My body wants you, girl. I get you when I'm popular. Concise. It might not be our best title, but it is a lyric from Sweden's 2011 entry into the competition, one which pretty famously split the juries and voters, coming in ninth with the jury and yet second with the people. True populist. Okay, so in this
1: game, Michael, we're going to show you a short clip from a Eurovision song, and you're going to have to tell us whether it was a hit with the juries or with the people. So the first song is Kainos' Spirit in the Sky, which represented Norway in 2019.
2: I see a in the sky. Oh, there's a man. <laughs> oh my God, there's another foodie man. <laughs> I
3: you calling me
2: okay, I actually love this. <laughs> it's very tribal, which yes. I feel like is populist. Also, it's, it's pretty simple, the song. And I, it's kind of a banger. One for the, for the kids uh, and not the jury. That's my final answer. I
1: mean, you're absolutely right. Am I right? Yeah, In in every way. Okay. Who says you're not a Eurovision expert? (laughs) 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 Well, because the the, the ball guy, he's of the Sami people uh, up north in Norway, and they have a particular type of singing that is literally no words. It's guttural sound. 100%. I completely Um, got that. Because it was actually first in the televote, but 15th with the juries.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it It's reminiscent of Oma Oma Ye, that whole yes. era of head bashing, at least to the American English speaker, sort of yeah, unintelligible. Say, <laughs> and I will say, I'm get in t- trouble for saying that.
0: <laughs> no, of the things said on this podcast thus far, you're totally safe. <laughs> as someone who's singing is often described as guttural and inc- incoherent, this has always been a favorite song of mine. Our next song is by Stub C. Stubb. And they represented Moldova in 2022.
3: It's fabulous.
2: Okay, this to me is jury because it's highly instrumental. So other musicians are going to appreciate the fact that people are on stage playing real music with real instruments together, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I really like it. Yeah. It's really fun. It's some Moldovian hoedown. Am I right?
0: Well, it was second with the voters and yet 20th with the (gasps) jury.
2: Okay, so I'm wrong.
0: I'm proud of the people then. I do think the juries have revealed themselves over the years to have a certain amount of conservatism when it comes to what a song is, how it should be built.
2: Professional creatives really love to pat themselves on the back when it comes to structure. Yes. Because that sort of like justifies their existence. I know how to build a good song and you don't. That's kind of the point, right? And so like, if it's intuitive celebratory music, then Uh, it maybe, you know, doesn't appeal to them.
1: Essentially you're saying the juries are BMI. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. No, a, I, I think that's going to be a niche reference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good thing this is a niche podcast. <laughs> yeah. Talking about this is niche. My whole life is niche. I know. Oh, yeah. oh my god. I I literally had that thought when I woke up the other morning and I went right back to bed. <laughs> it's like it's the end. Okay, so
1: uh, let's move to the next one. Okay. This Amazing. is Destiny with Shemekas which is Malta's 2021 entry. Not your thing. Okay, I'm just pausing to
2: explain why I'm watching for so long. And it's yeah, yeah. because you just said this thing about structure song and how it builds. So oh I my to god, Michael,
0: were you a straight A student? <laughs> <laughs> Be honest. Yes.
2: <laughs> okay, really fun bridge. This is one. This one's tricky. It's so fun. I just could see anybody wanting to listen to this song, dancing in in the club. But it does feel like a well constructed pop song. It also feels like a really well constructed brand. She's got the background dancers. She's got the the lights. The production value feels really professional and intentional. And also something like I've seen before. Yes. Maybe this is a jury. Magnus. I mean, did he get it
0: right? You, you nailed know it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, Straight A, And maybe? actually, another A, Michael. <laughs> Thanks very much. We'll be sending you home with a report card. Yeah. Just get it signed. I would only hope. <laughs> I, I put this on the list because as someone who often is skeptical of the juries. I am obsessed with this song. I think it is so fun. It is so fun. And you're right, lives so well in a very sort of pop format, but like has all of these interesting touches. You mentioned the bridge, even the hook with the little, I guess, Norland's like trumpet. Yeah, I was about to say the brass. Your vision is the lover of brass. So this one was third in the jury vote and 14th in the televote. When the song was released right before the competition, it actually like embedding markets and stuff was like slated to win betting markets when it comes to your vision is a
1: huge thing just like in sports you're like oh you know in the betting markets and you're like i'm in music
0: that's where i'm investing my money i don't do people like bet on like American Idol? I think people bet on everything. I also wonder if it's harder when it when everything is self-contained. Because it's also a smaller audience base. So because it's like this becomes a more like of the Olympics. Could, yeah, could probably swing it. This, by the way, is the launch of our financial advice column. <laughs> 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 Please submit any questions you have. Uh, we will tell you to bet on Sweden. Yeah. When her performance happened, there was a lot of criticism over the dress she was wearing. And I really feel like there was a public reaction that was pretty fatphobic. Yeah. And 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 that's
2: probably why the people don't like it. Because honestly, sometimes can't trust the masses. I agree that um, you can't
1: always trust the masses because block voting and all that stuff, when it comes to countries supporting each other, people love hate watching. It becomes like fun to say the most negative things. And I think there is that novelty vote fear where it can just become a joke.
0: Right. Although this I think is different than that. I brought up Fat phobia, that is the way for me that the juries have been occasionally protective. I would draw a line between that and, you know, all the Eastern Europeans would vote for each other and it would all be camp novelty numbers. I'm not afraid of that, but people are going in with certain biases and having some sort of check on that is not the worst thing, I guess.
1: Oh, you're coming around to it. I will say I was a person who was disappointed with the staging.
0: I don't want to dismiss any criticism of the staging or costumes or song as fat phobia, but seeing the jury be a little bit careful about that made me smile. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there you go and then the question is
0: did North Macedonia make you smile? The more important question is is it going to make Michael smile?
2: That is more <laughs> important
0: So this is North Macedonia's Proud by Tamara Todevska. I'm watching an ad. How's the ad? highbrow something I've seen before <laughs> nah, all right Tell them Raise your sorry,
3: voice. this is making Say
2: me. <laughs> We've got some black and white images of women, mothers, children, babies, mothers, yeah. motherhood, womanhood, <laughs> girl. Okay, now it's yeah. making sense. <laughs> this song feels like it's trying to teach me something, which immediately makes me feel like it's not a populist. It's so hard to not react. Um,
0: <laughs> it's like, it feels
2: mean. I'm going to say jury. You're right. Nailed
0: it. (laughs) So uh, this was second with the jury. It was 12th with the people. This This is like the... Prototypical to the point of stereotypical example of a jury vote song. Right. It is just totally bland. Right. The lyrics it's boring. It's boring. It's, yes. it's edifying.
2: Yes, it's very edifying.
0: <laughs> the message is great. Yeah. We love women. Right, but also it's just like, and it's like musically. I guess it's right. like it's it's, 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 com- com- it's very competently done. It's it's virtuosic. Yes, right. She shows off the singer's voice. She's really got well. a great voice. This was absolutely written by a professional who has written many songs before. Yeah, um, I'm. And- to death, though.
1: <gasps> so, this is Il Volo, which is Italy's entry in
0: 2015.
1: Okay, he's cute. Yeah,
0: very cute. Sparkly
1: behind the eyes. Very
2: sparkly. Oh, oh and he's in a groove. Okay, I didn't notice that. You're going to hit some harmonies. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. <laughs> okay, but it's, it is building, which we know is a jury favorite. Okay, honestly, sit.
0: All right, what's the call? What's the call?
2: Here's my thought process. It feels sort of like highbrow, obviously, because it's like operatic singing. But maybe then I was thinking about my one and only so far miss. The Maldonian Toe Hoedown is actually like totally for the people. And this feels like that because it's like Italian. It's very, this is representing our country. And then it breaks out into this banger that's for everybody. And so to me,
0: this is a populist vote. Michael, you nailed it. I'm in <laughs> shock. I was like, I'm putting this on to so try make and, a point. and sabotage <laughs> me. Well, good luck. This, Charlie. this, this also, we'll mommy we'll will be signing my report card the... and she will be very <laughs>
1: proud. And out of the examples, it's where the jury and the people were <laughs> <laughs> closer together. So that matches also a lot of the, yeah, yeah. No, that actually would have been my instinct. Like, it's, it's honestly a
2: great showcase for why Eurovision is so fun. It's got the, the regional nationalistic thing where it's like you know it, Italian pride, and you can
0: lose yourself on the club to it a hundred percent. I know it didn't surprise Michael, our Eurovision expert here, <laughs> but uh, it shocked me. Um, I would have been like, this is like jury bait a hundred percent right and the closest explanation I could find is France's entry a few years before was another popra number and it surprisingly bombed. so there was this kind of weird rule that, that I guess in people's head was like, flopra. it's flopra. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love that. <laughs> flopra. The broader problem with the jury is just that like they create rules for what's good and what's not. And professionals in general, I do this as a writer all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm reading this script and we're 10 pages past when we should have pushed into act to this person yeah. who does not know what they're doing. These rules can end up blinkering you to stuff that's like creative or interesting. But you
2: know what? I think also this is the kind of seen it before that I think would turn off the more highbrow-y people yeah. because they're like,
0: we've been doing papra for so long. Popra, like you think about it in the sort of American context of Lloyd Webber, the way he's received is as sort of populist schlock because the highbrow people look at it and they go, No, I know what opera is. It's not that, right? But yeah, you know, maybe it's that Europeans sense. are like, Don't go there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Opera is too how, how dare, <laughs> how dare you? you corrupt? Not in the house. Yes. So let's let's bounce to the next one. This is constructas Incorpore Sano, which is Serbia's 2022 entry.
3: <laughs> She's like
0: Meghan Markle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's. Asking what the secret is to Meghan Markle's hair. This is already. This is a Broadway show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is like a curious (laughs) incident of a dog (laughs) in a night. Meets next to normal.
1: She has such a, a proper career after
0: this. I know,
2: I know. Jerry Mitchell wanted to it put her in Fiddler. Uh, oh, oh, yes, yeah. This is high concept. It's you so would love time. this. That I'm makes a obsessed with me. I do think this screams jury because it's like very intellectual. And I just can't imagine that the popular vote is like, absolutely. Like, uh, Jag a little
0: pill. <laughs> 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 so um, this placed 11th with the jury. Oh, and fourth with the people. Get out It to was town. the surprise hit, the first... Uh, Saboteur. The, you did yeah, that on purpose. I, I did. No, but well, you were trying to throw me. Well, out. no, but this is my villain origin story because <laughs> this is where I started to hate the juries. This was the first Eurovision we went to and I fell in love with her. And they. I'm so confused because it's the, the conservatism. Is, I think.
2: No, I'm, I'm more. I'm more
1: confused as to why the people loved it so much. The most unapologetic thing of itself is like what people end up loving. It's not intellectual from a place of a. Songwriter, it's more intellectual from a place of like almost like a live museum piece mm-hmm. or like some performance art in like deep Brooklyn. Lest we forget, 'tis Europe <laughs>
0: totally, totally, they <laughs> love and, that and shit and <laughs> Eastern Europe. Yeah, why do the people love it? The minute she opened the song with How Does Meghan Markle Get Her Healthy Hair? It's like they were sold, yeah. right? Because the specific reference really was also, just so bizarre from a Serbian artist to be like, I'm going to start my monologue to a beat I would love to read through these lyrics. Oh, oh they're yes. amazing. I will. This song then went on to top the charts in like several um, Eastern European countries. I'm definitely moving.
1: It's the most um, it's the most <laughs> successful song in Serbian ever.
0: I was like obsessed with these videos for a while where she would visit like a middle school and there'd be a like hundred kids standing out in front of her singing every word of this song. And they're like 10 years old. Wow. And I was like, Serbia sounds pretty cool.
1: It helps. Anytime there's a move or a thing that, that is did, tiktokable TikTokable. It, it did have a, a pretty big TikTok. The TikTok thing is really interesting. Because not only, obviously, do you have
2: this sort of like yeah. recreatable physical gesture thing, it's also that it's vibey. You use this as a sound. And like lip sync and the cultural reference, as you were saying, to Meghan Markle's hair is so, you know, ripe for, for social things, media, yeah, frankly. like... So our final
0: song. song. So this is
1: Selena and Taya's "Who the Hell Is Edgar," which was Austria's 2023 entry. Oh my God, you're such a good writer. It's not. Is this an Edgar Allan Poe like stand song? Yep. This is a parody
2: of what I think Eurovision is (laughs) going to be be like.
0: It definitely does
2: live in the camp novelty category. Taking like a. 19th century poet and maybe turning it into like a techno pop anthem. Pope. Pope. Pope.
0: (laughs) The idea is that they're songwriters and one of them has been inhabited by Edgar Allan Poe, and she starts writing these amazing songs. Why is there math involved? So how much Spotify pays for a stream. So even though she's Edgar Allan Poe. She d- can't Kinder make money, any money. Is the idea. But, WGA it's, Strong. And it's commenting...
1: WGA Strong. But yes, it's a commentary on like how women are treated in, in as writers in the music industry. And music industry. Yeah, so as so a, a woman, similar. even inhabited by a very famous oh, male poet, she still can't get paid because it's coming to a female body. <sighs> okay. <laughs> are you exhausted?
2: I'm really <laughs> thrown by this one, but I'm just going to take a wild guess. Jury. It's just trying so hard to teach me something, and and something we've established is that the Eurovision jury is very concerned with with making it known that they
0: love women. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Eurovision has loved women for at least half of its entire history. Because it took until feminism. Uh, Yes, so it came in eighth in the jury and 21st among the people. But I think there is an interesting qualifier on this that that does point out another difference between the juries and the voters. So this is in the finale, which has the widest audience. How do you make it to the finale? You have to get out of the semifinals. And those are broadcast and voted on as well by people, but it's a smaller group of Eurovision fans, right? They did come in second in the vote in their semifinals. The popular vote. But these are Eurovision fans, so there are a couple of explanations for this. One, the music video, I think, was a lot better at advancing the narrative that's in the lyric. Because I love the music video so much, but I was like, how can you translate this to a stage? But also, it's like the only reason I understand the story of that song is (laughs) I saw it via the music video first. (laughs) Does like come to life? Is he like Uh, animated in some way? In a stage performance at some point, he actually is. Oh, yes, um, he is. But in the video, it's grounded realist video, actually. she's uh,
1: shows up to, like, a, to, like, a board meeting with a I haven't even seen it, i begged it to no. <laughs> Fair. After all this, what are your impressions? I think when I was younger, I was very...
2: Um, jury, in that <laughs> I was sort of trying to prove to myself and to everyone else around me that I had tastes and I knew what I was talking about. I was really smart. And the older I get and the more that I actually work and make art, the more I feel staunchly that if you like it, it's good. I used to be a dancer and people, well, I I didn't really get it, you know, but that's, but I'm sure it's great. And I'm like, (laughs) no, if you didn't get it, it didn't do its job. And if you didn't enjoy it, you didn't like it. And that's totally valid. Um, And so
0: I think it should just be a a popular vote. Screw the jury. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for providing all the validation I need. But are you sort of team jury?
1: Not, not so much team jury. I think the jury's presence is important, more so in the way the competition grows over time. Like, in the political aspects also really play in. I mean, yeah. of course, it's not surprising. Scandinavian countries tend to vote for each other. Eastern Bloc tend to vote for each other. Like, if you see what wins and see what succeeds, it's very much a mix of the two, and it really attracts yeah, you know a broad range. So
2: That's entirely convincing, and I think the truth is it's it's a good system that we really need both, you know? Yes. I'm so disappointed.
1: That was, that was the, I, I, I was so happy. But I Don't ha- worry, I'll cut out the first one and just don't we <laughs> <be> review with me.
0: <laughs> We're going to be releasing two different versions of this
1: podcast. Oh my God, it's like the director's cut. Oh my God, but yeah. Charlie but the director's cut and the yeah. cut.
0: <laughs> because if one hour a week wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very fun. I'm like tempted to watch even more YouTube videos oh of my God. performances. <laughs> we'll send you a And I'm list. sure you I mean, will facilitate that. I mean, for yeah. me. well, we are so grateful that you joined us. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. And I still don't know how to end a segment. Do you want to try, Magnus? I think that's it. And that's it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had two great guests on this episode and Absolutely. I'm just so happy to both of them for joining. Um, and Magnus, I'm happy about you joining. Um, it was so nice having you on this show. I almost episode. considered not, but then I changed my mind. I know you. I, I mean, it, it happens sometimes. <laughs> Next week is another politics episode. Uh, we're going to be looking at politics at Eurovision in the modern era, uh, focusing on Azerbaijan, Armenia, Israel, Russia, and Ukraine.
1: Uh, we'll be talking to Mohamed Fazla, Bosnia's first Eurovision contestant, He literally escaped a war zone under threat of sniper fire in the dead of night to make it to Eurovision.
0: And he's now actually senior official in the Bosnian government. Um, But then we're going to talk to comedian Jeff Hiller, uh, who you've seen on shows from 30 Rock to Somebody Somewhere. And we're going to talk about how comedy is a great tool for politics and how Eurovision's silliest numbers can sometimes have a deeper message, though often they don't. It's a game we're calling... Is that a political message in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully you'll be back to join us then. Um,
1: but yeah, uh, it, it, unless that impression <laughs> just ruined it for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're going to get a, a whole other subset of audience <laughs> yeah. off of that alone.
1: So I, I, as you recover from that painful experience, <laughs> until then...
0: Happy, happy Eurovision. Vision.